Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather for ordered worship to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We gather to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, and homily this morning are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome, we solicit your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence right here with us come Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, ever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We gather as grateful recipients of the legacy of Mr. John Wesley, who in the 18th century led the flourishing emergence of the Methodist movement that gave birth over time in this country to 128 schools, universities, and colleges, beginning with Boston University in 1839. Said Mr. Wesley first to his budding preachers, do you know God to be a pardoning God? Do you know God to be a pardoning God? We rest in God's pardon and peace to begin our service each Lord's Day, guided, as is our custom, in the Kyrie eleison by our choir. Let us pray together. From your very hand, gracious God, help us to receive the arts of forgiveness in prayer and in listening and in speech that we might be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as thou in Christ hast forgiven us. Hear good news, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter nine, verses one through four. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
a lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the Lord. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 27 with the antiphon. is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in the Lord's temple. For the Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. The Lord will conceal me under the cover of his tent and will set me high upon the rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart said, seek the Lord's face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off, do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. 
let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, Land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John in the boat with their father, Zebedee. Mending their nets, he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus.
Please be seated. Today we see Jesus walking the shore of his beloved Sea of Galilee. He sets out at dawn as the fishermen begin casting and mending. The stylized memory from the mind of St. Matthew kindles our own memory and hope too. That first light of the day, daybreak, carries a power unlike any other hour's hue. The excitement of beginning, the promise of another start, the crisp, cold opening of the year in January. Like the skier, mitts and poles at the ready, we adjust our goggles and we lean, and here is Jesus, midway from Christmas to Easter, from manger to cross, from nativity to passion. Along the shoreline he strides, one foot in sea and one foot in shore. He meets two brothers at dawn, and they meet him. God's first light, the Christ, the light that shines in the darkness. Notice how Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, are sketched. There is little to nothing of history here, but what there is says so much. There is no parental shadow lying on their fishing nets. One hears no maternal imperative for Peter and Andrew, no paternal dictate. These young men are on their own. They've left home already, maybe leaving the city to the south to find a meager middle-class existence farther north with their own means of production. They are small businessmen, boat owners, fishermen, neither the Amha'arets nor the gentry they not poor, not rich, working folks, young, young men. Simon already has a nickname, the sign of joviality, of conviviality, of gregarious, playful fun. Peter, the rock. Is this for his steady faithfulness or his failure to float on this rock or sinks like a rock? You sense that these brothers play in the surf a little, kick up the sand a little, flirt with the Palestinianas a little, take time to take life as it comes. Brown are their forearms and burnished their brows. They love the lake and life and have made already their entrance into adult life, for they have left home. One envies their youth and freedom. They have taken to the little inland sea, and with joy they meet each dawn like this one at first light as they see light. You can feel the sand under their feet as they take a moment to play and laugh. You can feel the chill of the water as they swim while breakfast cooks over the fire. You can feel their feeling of vitality and joy as they greet another day at dawn, at the first light. I wonder whether we allow ourselves to drift a little too far from that sense of vocation, that first light feeling, those nearly pure dawn moments of almost rapturous illumination, those moments of connection. The day your BU acceptance letter came, the afternoon of BU commencement four fast years later, 
25,000 in attendance. The evening you came out to your parents, your first child, tiny, red, crinkled, fists waving, crying and then asleep, literally, in your hand. Your daughter or son taking the vows of confirmed faith in the church's chancel. Yes, there was some part child and another part adult in what was said, but there they were, dressed to the nines in tie and dress. There they were, in public and in church. They murmured, and they murmured piously. And how did that feel, Mom and Dad? Your day of matrimony. Down the aisle they come, or you come, father and daughter. Do you? Do you? I do. They do. At what was once a simpler world now has further complexity and creative power, a new creation. Your retirement party. There must have been some moment, sometime, when you felt an intimacy with the universe, a closeness, a sense of purpose. That too is a kind of daybreak, dawn, first light. That is an inkling of calling, of vocation. A simple trust like theirs who heard beside the Syrian sea. Our denomination once had a thriving ministry in China. When we were forced out of China in the 1940s, something vital left our church. But you can still feel the first light of mission if you visit in the halls and rooms at Skerritt College in Nashville. Oriental ornaments, paintings, sculpture, gifts, symbols of connection and love. We grew up with the family of Tracy Jones, who himself had been raised as a missionary child in China, as had Houston Smith. Our first parsonage in Ithaca had once housed Pearl Buck while she and her husband were back on furlough from China. Have we begun with the spirit to end with the flesh? Have we forgotten the love we had at first? Have we stayed close enough to that dawn light and those first light experiences to stay fresh? Have we still an inkling of vocation? Our malaise, our ennui, should we have such, our asadia, spiritual sloth or indifference literally are not caring, so often is due to our turning away from the dawn, daybreak, that elemental experience of love that energizes everything else. Peter and Andrew, of course, are casting, casting nets. They have no furrowed brows, no endless worries, no pessimism, no angst. They probably have left unattended some holes in their nets, these two happy brothers. And they are willing to accept that their casting will be imperfect, as all evangelism is imperfect. But that imperfection will not keep them from enjoying the labor of casting. To miss the dawn, the first light, is to miss the fun of faith. Invite that neighbor, 
the one across the street whose porch light is always on, invite that neighbor to come along with you to worship. Do you enjoy, benefit from, appreciate worship here come Sunday? Then, of course, you will want to share that enjoyment, that benefit and appreciation by inviting someone to come too. Here at dawn, those first stirrings, first longings, first intimations of something new and something good. Meanwhile, back on the beach, Jesus heads south, cove by cove, with Andrew and Peter frolicking in tow. They had already left home, and they're ready to take a flyer on some new trek, not fully sure how it will work out. It is a miracle that they are remembered, perhaps with a little hagiography, as having responded immediately. Still, every little scrap of memory these two brothers tends, of these two brothers tends in the same direction. They are full of vim, vigor, vitality, and pepperino, and when asked, they say, yes, and they follow. But down the shoreline a little, there rests another boat, a different story, a different set of brothers all together, James and John, known as the sons of Zebedee. Simon has already earned his own name and nickname, but these two are known by their father's name. They haven't left home. They have not yet acquired that second identity. When you won't leave, won't move, you won't find, you won't grow. You will miss vocation. Here they are, as usual, at dawn, stuck in the back of the boat. James and John, all these years they have watched the Peter and Andrew show down the way. All these years they have envied the fun and frolic down the beach the late night parties, the bonfires, the singing, the swimming. And here they sit strapped to the old boat of old Zebedee. And they are covered, covered with the ancient equivalents of chapstick and copper tone. And they are trapped. Under the glaring gaze of Zebedee, whose thunderous voice has so filled their home that their own voices have not even emerged. Every day in the back of the boat, and what are they doing? Why, you could have guessed it, even if the text had not made it plain. At dawn, are they casting? No. Are they fishing? No. Are they sailing? No. They are mending. Mending. Their dad has got them into that conservation, protection, preservation mode. Mending at dawn. Of course, nets need mending, but the nets and the mending are meant in a far greater service. The fun is in the fishing. The joy is in the casting. The happiness is in the evangelism. And there they sit, sober Calvinist souls, mending. Deedle, deedle, dumpling my son John. 
Today we are midway between Christmas and Easter. This passage has a little passion, the Baptist, and a little nativity, Nazareth. The two stories of Jesus, of his birth and of his death, are meant to complement and interpret each other, Christmas and Easter. As our colleague Milton Jordan put it this week, Matthew attempts to soften the story of Jesus' flight from the threat of arrest. He and other disciples of the baptizer flee from Herod Antipas region to a border town where escape to another country is not as difficult. We have too often overlooked, if not intentionally obscured, the harsh political realities of Jesus' flight to the border. Here at dawn is a pronouncement, a pronouncement of a broad peace on earth, on earth, with Gandhi along the Ganges, with Tutu on the Southern Cape, along the path of the Dalai Lama in farthest Tibet, in Tegucigalpa with our dear missionary friends, Mark and Lynn Baker. This is no predestinarian quietism which has taken over parts of non-Catholic American Christianity from its seedbeds in Orthodox Presbyterian and Anabaptist communions. Cold, careful, efficient, first mild, changeless, fearsome, depressed, grace, no. This is the season of Christmas and Epiphany. Warm, open, effective, second mile, free, growing, angry and hopeful, said Augustine. Hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. The early church told two stories about Jesus. The first about his death, the second about his life. The first about the cross is the oldest and most fundamental. The second about the manger is the key to the meaning of the first, the eyeglasses which open full sight, the code to decipher the first. Without Christmas, you can't see Easter right. Jesus died on a cross for our sin, according to the scripture. That is the first story. But who was Jesus? What life did his death complete? How does his word heal or hurt? And how does all this accord with scripture? One leads to the other. This second, second level story begins at Christmas and continues right this morning in Epiphany and is told among us to interpret the first. Christmas Epiphany is meant to make sure that the divine love is not left only to the cross or only to heaven. Epiphany is meant to open out a whole range of Jesus as brother, teacher, healer, young man, all. Jesus died the way he did because he lived the way he did. Jesus lived the way he did, and so died the way he did. That is, it is not only the passion of Christ, 
but the peace of Christ, too, which Christians like you and I affirm. What lovely news for us at the start of a new decade. The passion, too, of Christ, theologically, globally, politically, militarily, ecclesiastically, we have seen passion this year, and we shall see more in the year to come. But now comes dawn, the light, epiphany, Christmas epiphany, again to announce that there is more to Jesus and more to life than passion alone. There is the matter of peace as well. The real miracles of this account lie in the second invitation to the second set of brothers. It is a miracle that Jesus stopped and invited them, so somber are they. I wonder if he took in the timber of Zebedee's voice and saw them quaking in the back of the boat. Perhaps his heart went out to James and John. So he stops and he asks. That is the great thing about an invitation. All you can do is ask. Do ask. Ye have not because ye ask not. And for the first time in their lives, James and John are invited to live. Too many people live half asleep. Too often we don't live life, life lives us. Like these two knitting in the back of the boat, half asleep. And then dawn comes, and then day breaks, and then that first light shines. And then a voice like no other, so equanimous and so serene, casts its spell upon them, and maybe upon you this morning. Watch. It is a first light moment. And first one, and then the other, stands and moves. And under the shadow of that paternal presence, under the sound of that maternal imperative of home, they rise and they leave, and they move toward first light. They are about to grow up as they leave home. Wonderful. And what do they leave behind? Why, you would have known even if the scripture had not laid it right out. They leave behind the boat and their father. We best honor the adults in our lives when we become adults ourselves. We best honor the adults in our lives when we become adults ourselves. Will this world grow up? Will we find a way to live together, all 7.5 billion of us, and drink from the same cup? This text, strangely like John, the Gospel, claims for Jesus that Jesus is light, not color now, light. Color is great and good, but we all want finally to be able to drink from the same water fountain, and we want our children in one school, and we want to sit at one table, and we want to drink from one goblet. It is light that we shall need in the 21st century. We finally all drink from the same cup. 
I'm told of a man who stopped in his new neighborhood to buy lemonade from a freckle-faced seven-year-old girl and a mahogany-skinned six-year-old boy. He paid his dime and drank his beverage and stayed to talk. And after a while, the girl asked if there was anything else he wanted. No, he said, why? Well, sir, we're running a business here, and we've had a busy morning, and we hope for a busy afternoon, but that cup you're holding is the only one we have, so if you don't mind, we'd like it back. We all drink from the same cup. We forget it at our worldly peril. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have more in common as climate change, nuclear danger, governmental malfunction, denominational turmoil, and personal angst remind us we have more in common all around the globe than we do in difference. Give us light. Give us light, dear God, give us light. Have you faith? You are going to need some of that first light faith, calendar 2020. At first light, at dawn, we may with happiness remember this. The protagonist of Marilyn Robinson's Gilead, an old pastor in the Iowa town of his name, spends Sunday mornings at dawn praying alone in his church. He loves the morning hour and he waits with bated breath for the church to begin to fill up, to fill in. He basks in the first light of day. He knows, you do too, that we're going to need some faith this year. Others will too. How will they find faith in Christ without a church family to love them, without a church home to nurture them? without you taking a moment to say, I will be at Marsh Chapel on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Why not meet me there? That is the dawn. Peter and Andrew, the real joy of faith is sharing it. Would you like to have some fun this week? Look around for dawn breaking and kick up some sand. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
called together through water and the word, we boldly pray for the church, the world, and all who long to hear God's voice. I will end each petition with, Lord, in your mercy, and the response will be, hear our prayer. Holy One, your voice calls us to follow. Thank you for raising up missionaries in every generation and for all who create communities of grace today. Open our hearts to serve you near and far. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Maker of all, we rejoice in the beauty and abundance of the earth. Unite us in our shared calling to be stewards of creation, to reduce waste, and to simplify our lives for your sake. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Ruler of all, thank you for those who run for local and national office, and for all who serve as elected leaders. Gather wise and courageous voices together that your mercy and justice would dawn upon all people and nations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Healer of all, thank you for sanctuary and safety. Uplift all who live where fear governs and evil divides. Give refugees and all who seek safety a path toward hope and new life. Grant healing and wholeness to all who are sick, lonely, or grieving. Comfort those who are bereaved. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of courage, thank you for faithful teachers and evangelists in this and every place. Inspire our faith formation efforts with all generations as you call us to follow you. Bless our children, youth, and adults who engage in learning. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Risen Lord, we marvel at the meaning of your resurrection. Give us faith to place all hope in you as we give thanks for the faithful departed. May their witness help us to follow your call. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We place our prayers before you, God, united in your spirit, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. I'm the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and on behalf of the Marsh Chapel staff, we welcome you again to Marsh Chapel. Thank you for joining us as part of our community of worship to today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or live stream on the internet, or later via our podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found among the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. This week, Mars Chapel resumes our full semester programming. On Monday, please join us for our ecumenical worship here in the nave at 515. This semester, we will be offering a variety of worship experiences and ways to connect as community. Please see myself or Marsh Chapel Associate Young John Sio for details. Following worship, all are invited to our weekly community dinner. On Tuesday, Create Space meets at 3 o'clock. This is a wonderful, creative time to engage in a variety of projects and enjoy conversation, and this week, Girl Scout cookies. This is followed by Global Dinner Club at 6 p.m. This week's menu is Build Your Own Taco Bar. Please see Dr. Jessica Chica for further information. On Wednesday, Tai Chi is offered in the March Room at 11.45. And at 5 for 15, our ecumenical service with Eucharist resumes in Robinson Chapel. This service is being followed by dinner and more Girl Scout cookies. All are welcome. On Thursday, for those on the BU Medical Campus, Dr. Chica is holding chaplain office hours in the School of Public Health Talbot Building, room 113C, from noon until 2 p.m. At 5 p.m., Mind, Body, Spirit Yoga is held in Robinson Chapel. Our week concludes on Friday with our meditation group that is held at 10 a.m. in Robinson Chapel. This semester, the morning study book group will be reading Jim Wallace's Christ in Crisis. Books and schedules may be obtained in the Marsh Chapel office. The suggested donation for the book is $20. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Touch our hearts, God, with your love so that we may share our many resources with others. May your grace shown to us in Jesus Christ make us generous givers. Amen.
things come of thee, O Lord, and of thy own have we given thee. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs> 